You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Football program Saturday the 5th of March. It's a very sultry day today and I'm happy to be in the studio. Yeah, definitely. Good morning, Miranda. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Another Saturday talking football for the next two hours. You can log on to our Facebook page or our new website, theworldfootballprogram.com.au if you miss any part of the show. Otherwise, we've got a group of guests joining us, including Greg Werner, who's a historian from Australian football before the A-League, Brett Klitschnik from the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia, Tom Samani, a New Zealand Football Ferns coach, and Dave Wally, who's a goalkeeper on the local scene and also the coach of young Miranda who's sitting here. So I'm sure we'll hear some things about that. Um, thank you, everybody, that uh, logs into the Facebook page along the way and comments and posts information. Really do appreciate that. Uh, the usual group of guys, Peter Wright, thank you very much for filling all of the spaces all of the time. It's uh, really great to see the take on different things there. And it's also been interesting to see the things that get posted and have paywalls these days. We went through that kind of icky period in the last couple of weeks where Facebook did their um, can't repost the news thing and um, mm. th- then it kind of changed and relaxed a bit and people worked out different ways to do things and it didn't really seem to affect us in the end so that's all good. Yeah no I didn't I didn't notice a difference except for like a few days earlier on but I think it's pretty much back to normal we found a way around it. Yep yep um, we do have normals in this funny COVID period uh, and you can give thanks or we can give thanks to West Coast Futsal and the Super Liga, Greg Farrell, who joins us from time to time on the show. That's five-a-side football. Lots of venues around Perth. Competitions are underway and the Super Liga is the top-end football for men and women here in Perth. And Oswest Fencing and Rod Iron, who are absolutely flat-tack busy building gates and fences because people haven't been able to travel, so they've been renovating their houses <laughs> and gates, so it's kept us very busy. And Gate and Fence Hardware WA, lots of handymen out there making a good living at the moment, so 
I really do think if there's some areas that you haven't been able to make your living in, there are other areas where you might want to consider transitioning to because <laughs> there's certainly some holes out there in, in different spaces these days. But uh, there is a lot happening in football and we'll talk about as much as of those things as we can during the next um, two hours or just under two hours. Now, of course, the night series is underway for just about every competition you can think of, mm. men's, women's, amateurs and so forth. Um, COVID's had a little bit of effect on that with postponing some fixtures and then putting them in the middle of the week. Yeah, and so cramming forth. them all together. Oh, my God. It's been a really busy start to the year and it, mm. it just it has been a kind of 12-month football season for a number of years now but with COVID and lockdowns and travel and all that kind of thing and W League fixtures trying to fit in, A League fixtures trying to fit in on weeknights as well as night series games, it's been really crammed. Yeah it has been and I think even from local level all the way to the top so you've got um, Perth Glory Women's who were asked to play three games in the space of seven days twice within a month this season and uh, then you go down all the way to you know your local leagues and you've got two games a week for the next three weeks and yeah it's just a hectic schedule for everyone at the moment. It is and I was just saying to you earlier that um, I have my W League membership and um, I haven't been able to make a game and I'm not going to be able to make a game because of the midweek fixtures and the shuffling around they're in of those as well and yeah, the 11 side season starts soon, so a lot of us are preparing for that with mm. coaching and then coming off the back of five or so over summer. Matt, there's just so much football, it's crazy. Yeah, and I'd, like you did notice that it was a Thursday game, I think, at the last Glory Women's game, the game against Sydney. The crowd wasn't as it usually was. It, you know, there's obviously people that it's a school night, you know, can't stay out late with the kids or, you know, can't get away from work in time and. Um, towards the end of the game it started to fill up a bit more as it usually does but yeah it was just you can see the midweek fixtures are having an effect on not just the crowd and the atmosphere but that would then also flow back to the revenue if they're not getting as much people through the door. On the other hand the night series fixtures which have been through the Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday period. Wednesday this week. <laughs> yeah but the, the ones especially on the weekend have allowed the clubs to you know fully make use of um people being outside of the work hours and mm. bring their family along. Yeah. And I've been to a few games and um, spoke to different um, people attending the men's night series games and the crowds have been pretty decent. Mm. Um, canteens at various venues I've been to have been <laughs> all right too, which is good for the club and you put an income out there and some of the clubs are even tra- charging entry across the women's night series you were yeah. mentioning with Perth Soccer Club. Yeah, I went down to the... Women's Night Series games last night, so a bit of a late night, with an 8.30 kick-off in the um, perth Balcata game. But, yeah, they were charging five bucks a person at the door, which I think was is pretty good. You know, you're getting a bit of revenue for the club, and that's obviously, as you were saying before, Penny, is just, um, just reinforcing the fact that people do want to come watch and, you know, they're willing to pay five bucks because they want to see some good football. Yeah, we all want to see good football and... Uh, having the family there is one thing that we've talked about a lot. If you go back um, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, mm. uh, there there were a lot of people attending games. Um, think of, well, you might not remember these, but Dorsonia Cups and Velodrome and um, the venues where which are iconic for football here, mm. and I'm talking men's football, yeah. and they'd get thousands of people at the games. Mm. And, you know, we're talking hundreds now, yeah. I, I think. I mean, the games I've been to, there's been hundreds and that might be considered okay maybe after, you know, 12 months or two years or, or whatever, but I'd like to see thousands at games and paying mm-hmm. 5 or $10 on the gate 
um, helps the club. And if it's because we're getting thousands and we're paying ten dollars, then the atmosphere is good. The club's getting something right. Yeah. Then you know the environment for football is okay. So that's mm. progress in in a COVID space. That's kind of good. I mean, someone's doing something right and. Yeah, I go to the games and there's always a group of people down there that I know and can talk to mm. and um, I bring my daughter who's 14 and she enjoys being there and she meets other people and that that's good. That's what you want at a football match. Yeah, definitely. I've even down at Dorian yesterday, there was a bunch of dogs, you know, I brought my <laughs> dog down to Dorian and a <laughs> little puppy play date down on the side of the pitch at halftime. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, other news uh, that we'll be talking about through the show, the Female Football Week is underway mm-hmm. with uh, Football West. I think that finishes on Sunday at Dorian Gardens with the Girls' Day Out. Yeah. Um, so that's been a, a big week of awarding um, various champions in the game and recognising coaches in the female football space. There is a girls' soccer carnival happening on the 10th of July. Actually, no, there must be a few carnivals happening this year, but that's the only one that I've seen advertised. I don't think I've even seen that one advertised. Mm. Which, which one's that, Penny? Australian Girls Soccer Carnival. Okay. Yeah, so just outside of Bunbury. Mm. Yeah, I, I do scout around and see if I can pick up anything that the clubs are holding. Usually there's quite a few pre-season carnivals in mm-hmm. the Perth space, but I haven't seen a lot of them. So if you do want to promote your club and any pre-season activities they're doing, just land on the World Football page. We're happy to share, and I'll certainly put it to air as well. Uh, and Oh, the Sean will when he's hosting again. And the Masters Games are in Perth too, the Australian Masters Games there oh, okay. later in the year, which is good. I haven't seen much advertising for that. Um, the Masters competition is about the fourth or fifth largest in the world in terms of when they have the World Games. Mm. It's pretty massive. You get about twenty to 30,000 athletes come, and that's every four years. And then the Australian Games is somewhere in Australia, a different location every year, I mm. think, uh, and that's once a year. So having it in Perth is pretty awesome. Yeah. I hope we'll get a few people down here and a few Perth teams. <laughs> See what happens there. So that's uh, men and women. And the boys and girls state team trials are open for 14 and 15-year-olds. You can go to footballwest.com.au and have a look at that and they've got their new website Mm -hmm. happening there. So hopefully it's a bit easier to navigate through things. Yeah, I don't know if they've advertised um, whether there's going to be a competition this year because usually they go after Coffs Harbour. So hopefully things will clear up by Wednesday. It's usually July, isn't it, the trip. So hopefully because I know a lot of the girls were – the young boys as well that usually go to Coss Harbour, very disappointed to miss out. They did some local stuff here, some matches, internal matches, but, yeah, it's not the same as going over and experiencing that travel with your teammates. Yep, I think for Football West it's all a part of the identification process mm. too and make sure they keep the pathways open for the young ladies and the young men. Um, not much happening in the Socceroo space or the Matilda space, just, um, yeah, hoping that there's going to be... Uh, more international games happen in the qualifying spaces leading up to Men's World Cup and Women's World Cup. I I am concerned about this. Mm. Um, How do we get our best players together and get them World Cup ready? We'll talk more about that through the show. (laughs) We are going to go to break and we'll come back and have a chat to our first guest, which is Greg Werner. This is Penn and... Miranda, I was just going to say PNN then. (laughs) I, I, I abbreviate sometimes, shouldn't do that. Penn and Miranda, we'll be back soon. 107.9 107.9 FM, your local station. 107.9 FM. We are one, but we are many. And from 
Because futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. Do we really believe they come from somewhere else? Leagues and far off lands. Galaxies full of superstars. What if they were made right here? In the city streets and sun-drenched suburbs. Small towns and home grounds. Our parks and pitches aren't just rectangles of dirt and turf. They're fertile grounds where greatness is unearthed. Where rugged was raised. Where cows grown. Even if they end up there, they all start here. In front of our eyes and hearts. And right here is where you'll find the next one. Welcome back to the World Football Program and uh, Miranda has just told me she's leaving on the 11th of April so I'm writing that in my diary (laughs) and we'll have to work out some kind of um, transitional arrangement so that you're in this chair hosting before you go or we do some kind of live feed from wherever you are so that you can just, you know, everyone can feel like you haven't left. Yeah, I feel like I'd definitely, you know, call in and yeah, figure a way to stay on. Yeah, we've got to have uh, feeds to different parts of the country so that we, you know, we get the heartbeat of everything football in the <laughs> studio. Man. Like we talk to, to Greg and all of our guests from all over the space so that we can you know, get everyone a feel of football and what's happening right around the traps. Greg, good morning or good afternoon to you. Uh, good morning to the both of you. Thank you for joining us. And we are going to chat across a range of topical issues. And, and the big one that I wanted to talk about at the moment was um, how the Chinese professional league is struggling at the moment or appears to be struggling with um, you know, bankruptcy and clubs shutting down and having a tough time paying wages and they have some very big names um, who they've managed to attract to China uh, because they've offered horrendous wages <laughs> and, and I don't know if this is karma or wh- whatever but you know, we all think of China as a powerhouse in the business world. Uh, in the football world, they're trying to make it, but um, struggling. What do you make of this, Greg? Uh, I hear echoes of the uh, the first American league back in the uh, in the eighties, where all the big stars from the world were uh, were attracted to the US, and they were paying ridiculous money. And uh, unfortunately, the model just 
fell over. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it took them three or four goes to get the American model right. And yes. they've, they've eventually done that. And I think the Chinese will take... Um, they'll get it done eventually, but uh, yeah, it's going to take them a little while. Uh, uh, Jiangsu is not going to be the first club to fall over. I think they've just thrown too much money around uh, willy-nilly to, um, to, to make it work properly. And it happened in, or ha- well, it hasn't happened immediately, of course, but the, the COVID uh, period happened during that time, which was a hit to everyone all over the world. Um, and so if you're talking a whole lot of money into spaces where that just not seems necessary, like um, it's Sooning, I think, is the owner of um, massive amounts of businesses globally, mm. uh, including in Italy as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's um, you know, something that comes out of there, Italy. There will be fallout all over the world. Just look what's happened with um, with the jets here locally, with mm. Martin Lee and uh, and his uh, his LED uh, company. The, the the last twelve months have basically killed that off effectively. Um, yep. Eventually, you know, businesses will will start going back. But uh, you know, let's face it. China's a little bit on the nose with a lot of people around the world, and uh, it's something that just money alone will not be able to properly fix. Yeah, and the to, to balancer really is that you mentioned about the American League and how they had a couple of goes to get it right. Uh, same thing with the Women's um, Professional League in America. They had a couple of goes mm. to get their model right, as you do, but the amount of money that is has gone into the, the Chinese League has been incredible. It, I mean, to keep the, or to sustain what they've got, they're going to have to reduce wages or come up with a different model or players will leave and that mm. will hurt their league and their model that they've got. But, I mean, it's just unfortunate that COVID has hit and it's sped up things. It might have happened over you know um, another Longer, couple of years, yeah. yeah, but it's just happened quickly. But, yeah, um, the, the fallout from that, I think, too, is that broadcasting, the broadcasting space, so to speak, is a really changing movable beast at the moment right around the world and I, I think of Foxtel and I think of the A-League and what's happened there mm-hmm. and then COVID has meant people are sitting in front of screens you know, it's so much more than they used to so yeah. there's competition in the market space mm. for the, the cable networks and those service providers so there's got to be another provider out there that is going to step in and provide the right kind of deal for well, Australian football Greg what do you think? Yeah, well, we've had this this new uh, Sydney-backed uh, startup company that's, that's going in buying uh, TV rights from, or secondary, or in some cases tertiary leagues from all around the globe, that have just secured the rights to the um, to the Champions League for next season. So, who knows where you know where we're going to be in twelve months? You know, who knows what's going to suddenly appear? Like you know, Flick or whatever they're called has just sort of appeared out of nowhere. Certainly, from an Australian perspective, uh, you know whether or not Stan will be able to or will want to compete, because uh, it appears certainly from from an outsider's point of view that um, they haven't got the reach that they thought they would get with uh, with getting the rugby contract, uh, because simply having you know one game, uh, you know one sport is not going to get you through the doors of pubs. So they're going to be need to, needing to get um, get hold of at least you know, one or two other sports uh, to make their platform work uh, in uh, in gaining that broader audience, the audience that Fox already has through the pub system. Mm. Yeah, they've got to be price competitive too, but I, I feel that there's probably more demand in the marketplace, i.e. more people watching. Um, so there's 
there's enough for all, really, if they kind of get some kind of parity. That's what I feel anyway. I mean, that that's how things kind of balance themselves out eventually is that the prices come in and they're high, um, there's low demand, so someone captures the market, then there's more people in the market, so competition is different, so they drop prices and mm. get a bit of parity that way. Um, and we all need our uh, soccer here, our football here, to be in front of eyeballs. We, we need it. We, yeah. we need it to be on television and on the radio and wherever else so that we can compete in the marketplace as other sports. It's what we need. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I was, we, we do... Sorry, go on. No, um, I was just going to say, I was watching the... Um, rugby game on stand sport um last night because i grew up in a rugby union family have been converted over to football but um yeah it was it was a good package and i think as you're saying that they if they can get a few more sports under the belt then it could become a good screaming platform like optus i think it's a similar model to that but um yeah i think it would be a good alternative for a league w league um better than some of the Fox streaming of the W League at the moment with the series of blunders in the W League streaming. Yep. Mm. Yeah, that's been an issue right from day one, unfortunately, mm. hasn't it? Um, yeah, with the 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 the, um, the Optus model and the Stan model, I think differ from the fact that Stan is actually producing the content, whereas Optus is just going to be a um, a repackager. Right. Uh, they're not actually doing any of the production side of things. And and let's face it, it, it costs a lot of money to actually put, you know, one game on air. Mm. And if you're having to do half a dozen games a weekend, that's a lot of money that they're going to have to pull back through revenue streams. Mm. Yep, yep. So it's, it's you know the, it may be it may be competitive, but whether it's it's too competitive uh, if there are you know too many people sort of throwing their hat in the ring, but in, uh, all who now realise the the cost of actually uh, putting the programs to air. Uh, as opposed to probably what they did when this first started out 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, you know, the, the people were just prepared to, to bite the bullet and, and, and hope that they had the uh, had the, the numbers come in over time to, uh, to make it worth their while. Well, Fox apparently, it would appear, uh, view football as, as being, you know, not cost-effective for them. Mm. We so had, it's going to be interesting to see how far the others are prepared to go in terms of uh, throwing money at the game. Absolutely. Last year, Greg, uh, we had uh, live streaming kick into local football here, mm-hmm. and it was very successful. Even some of the women's watching figures here were higher than the men's football, which was great. <laughs> so we had um, men's and women's NPL covered. I'm not quite sure if there's any other leagues that were covered, and finals games as well and I, I thought that was a success because uh, one it meant there was in the digital space it could be shared mm. and um, the other one was that we couldn't get to a game you're still going to watch the game so people were talking about it and talking about it and engaging in the community is a, a way to you know, share the love um, increase the, the the numbers talking about the game and eventually all those knock-on effects occur but then it's not happened this year and um, well COVID was a pretty tight space to be operating in in a business model and I think that Football West has cut back a a little bit and I've yet to hear that they're going to do it again this year, Miranda. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I know they're not filming these night series games but I can't remember. I don't believe they did that last year either. They did highlights packages. Highlights? Yeah. I haven't seen The only cameras I've seen down at the grounds are clubs doing it individually for their own analysis purposes. But, um, yeah, I think that 
streaming platform last year was great for all levels of football because you've got young players playing in our MPLs playing up. It is, on average, quite young leagues yep. across both the men and women. So yep. you've got players that can now be watched by coaches over East and in other countries because it's now available to them. They don't have to, you know, before as a young player coming through myself, especially in Perth, you know, the most isolated city in the world, we didn't get a chance to be looked at yeah. by development officers until we went over to these national championships and it was one week a year and yeah. it's if you performed well, then great, but if you had an off week, yeah. then that's you've got to wait another 12 months until you're looked at again. So I think that consistency in viewership from not just you know within the local community, which was great, but other places and just increasing the range that our league is getting. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Greg- well, we're, we're lucky here in, in New South Wales and Queensland with mm. uh, the NPL TV coverage is, uh, is up and running already. So, uh, and I think the same in Victoria as well. So, yeah. uh, so those three federations have, have obviously bitten the bullet and decided that yes, it's it's the way that they're they're going to go and uh, down the torpedoes, so to speak. Yeah, uh, when you say bite the bullet, that that part's the the hard one, really. Where does the budget come from? I mean, I mean, Football West have probably got like thirty five thousand odd registered members around the state. I don't know how that compares to other states, um, but that's that's a fair amount of income that's coming in. But then again, if you've got a business model that's um, diversifying, and Football West have been incredible in the last couple of years, Greg, where they've got um, you know different inclusive football programs. They've got um, walking football, beach football, mm. five-a-side football, um, nighttime, daytime, lunchtime. It's just absolutely everything football, which is great mm. for the whole community. But does that generate uh, income? I don't know if that puts back into the well so that we can spread the love in other areas. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's the income that's derived from those pretty much just covers what they're doing. Uh, you know, it, it's. It, I guess the whole idea of that was to try and be cost neutral as best as possible. Um, you know, various places around the country uh, have different operating uh, costs. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in the media in the last 12 months about what's gone on in Queensland. Um, you know, about the uh, the cost of uh, of you know upper upper management and and that sort of thing. And that's something that. I'm sure is going to get a lot more scrutiny from from those at the um, at the playing level, and, and you know, questions are likely to be asked as to you know, whether the uh, the sort of people that uh, are commanding the sort of wages that that they do is in fact uh, you know beneficial for the game, totally. or whether they'd be better off with somebody of a of a uh, a lower rung, if you will, uh, who can you know still administer the game in the way it should be. Yeah, I think that uh, Football West have done that with their model is rather than have top-heavy management in an office, they've uh, what do you call it when you put your staff out into like out of the office areas, like a remote when you run programs remotely, mm, okay. uh, like kind of subcontract almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we Football West here still don't have their own dedicated place to be and that's the state football centre hopefully Greg that's coming up in Queen's Park that we've um, got the space for dedicated by the government and mm. the local community and whatever else so hopefully that'll be up and running for the Women's World Cup and that's where Football West will land yeah. so they'll have that space that'll be a huge facility in terms of running costs for sure yeah. um, so maybe they're sucking at you now so they can <laughs> save for that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but um, we've got an AGM coming up for Football West, actually, mm-hmm. um, a 
can't remember when it was exactly, but uh, probably if you get in touch with Football West about that, um, you might be able to attend. It's open; it should be open to members. But I'm sure there'll be questions about what's happening there. But Football West are always pretty open about the programs and uh, costs and all that kind of thing that um, they run with. And you know, I, I think Greg that Melbourne has been a bit of a leader in the football space. And you mentioned about. Um, live streaming and um, I don't know things in the community. I always think of Victorian football and the website that they have, the things that they put out there uh, as a bit of bit of a leader. And I think it was Peter Philopolis that left Perth Glory and went to um, the Victorian Football Association. That was a catch for them. Now he's with the Football Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's he's moved up. I think. Um, Greg, do you know Peter? Yes, I, I've. I've had uh, I've had meetings with Peter. He's a good man, he and uh, he's, he's doing Progressive. good things. And, and and the the Victorian model does work. Uh, whether or not it would work in uh, the larger states, where you know, the 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 geographic spread is is so much more difficult to um, to control, and you know who knows. Um, but yeah, what they what they're doing with what they've got is uh, is certainly working. Now, before we let you go, I did want to talk about the uh, World Cup space. So we've got uh, Qatar coming up in 22 and Women's World Cup coming up in 23. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, my concern is how we're going to get our teams together, our national teams together in a competitive kind of state that is going to win a World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um We've got the March and June qualifiers. I'm not quite sure what's happening with that. FIFA have been talking about having hub systems. In fact, they've they've put out to member associations an invite to host their groups in a centralised format. Now, I don't know whether that means that um, they're already thinking about having hub systems and where they're going to be. Is it going to be in Australia or, or whatever? I have no idea. Um, what, what's your thoughts on... How Australia's well, there, there, there are two, I guess, two schools of thought on this. Uh, one is that Qatar will get whatever Qatar needs, <laughs> yeah. and therefore everything will be uh, will be hubbed in Qatar. In Qatar, doesn't matter what sport it is. Uh, you know, they've managed to do it with cricket. They've done it with the previous level of. Um, they've done it with tennis. They've done it with football. And um, given that um, they need they need test. Um, to, to test their facilities out prior to um, prior to the World Cup, I have no doubt that uh, that will be a major consideration for FIFA. Uh, Australia is another option, uh, and it, it purely comes down from um, from the fact that we've handled COVID so well here mm. that it will be looked upon as being a safe environment to actually uh, to actually run the thing in. I mean, my biggest concern at the moment is that, yes, if we have these hubs and we manage to get things done, we're still going to be behind the eight ball uh, when it actually comes to finals time because Europe's continued on with its, uh, with its program, playing behind closed doors and in, and in hubs there, whereas you know, we've played nothing. And the last Matildas game was well and truly over 12 months ago. Yeah. Mm. The, uh, the last Socceroos game was, I think it was November 19. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a long while yeah, back, and uh, you know it's 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 like the cricket at the moment. Mm. <laughs> the you know the Poms have got seven series that they're running between now and the, and the Ashes. We've got none, mm. so you know who's going to be better prepared: the team that's playing or the team that's not playing. Yeah, and uh, you know, as far as the Asian sides are concerned, I think they're going to go in ridiculously unprepared for uh, for what is to come when uh, when the finals roll around.
Australia's ranked 41 at the moment on the FIFA rankings. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure if there's been much movement. I haven't kind of checked across the other um, the other nations. In Australia, as in Matildas, is sitting, I think, about seventh. Mm, sounds about right. Yeah, sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I guess watch this space. There'll be more information coming out. And no doubt it'll there'll be fixtures set and then they'll be changed and... Yeah, that's the norm these days. It kind of yeah, make a make a plan and figure towards it, and then if if it's got a little bit of a variation, that's kind of the norm these days. But yeah, lots of planning and infrastructure is going down with things these days. Greg, I'm I'm liking that part about this space. Is it there's a lot of reflection and thinking and planning about what's best for the game and moving forward. I like that part about COVID. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's it's it's been hugely beneficial, but then it. Uh it all comes to nothing if there's no action, in fact, taken. I like mm. the fact that uh, that Football West have uh, have made this call on Queen's Park. I think that's uh, that's brilliant to be able to have a home. And from what I saw in the press release the other day, it looks like a good home. Mm. Uh, you know, something to operate from uh, is you know is a huge a huge boon. Uh, as is the um, uh, the the new uh, Hall of Fame website that I had a look at the other day. Thank what um, you. <laughs> what WA and Queensland are doing is leading the country, to be honest, in terms of the heritage of the game. It's, uh, yeah, everybody that's been working on this deserves a big thumbs up, especially from those of us that are lagging so far behind here in the East. Yes, well, it's been one of those years where people consider and review their position and um, a lot of stuff gets chucked out and... Um, Memorability shouldn't be chucked out if it's about the history of the game. We'd like to keep that for the future. Yep, be good to chat on that further down the line. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Greg, it's been great having a chat to you. Stay safe and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Penn. Thank you, Miranda. And enjoy your trip. Yeah, yeah thank you. See ya. Bye. Bye. That was Greg Werner from the Australian Football Before the A-League Facebook page. And he is a historian. That's his passion. Mm. So he, he likes to collect stuff and, and share stuff. So if you want to go to his Facebook page, it's, uh, yeah, really, really, really interesting Australian football before the A-League. We are going to go to a break and we'll come back and chat more football, of course. Um, and I'm just going to put that at the end of it. There we go. This is Penn and Miranda on the World Football Program. Thanks for listening in. Back soon. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au G'day. I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the world football team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoth, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast 
or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Tilly. And we're going to be interviewing Hannah Lowry from Perth Glory. Hannah, what is your favourite football trick? Uh, so my favourite football trick would have to be around the world. What do you eat and eat before and after a big game? So before I play, I try and have porridge for breakfast and then depending on what time we play, I might have a toasted sandwich or some pasta to give me energy. And then when we're finished, I'll come home, have some dinner, maybe pasta or rice to refill my body. Who's your favourite football player? Uh, so I have a few favourite football players. Uh, some of them, Sam Kerr, Lisa Devanna and Steven Gerrard, who used to play for Liverpool. I think probably just their work rate is very inspiring and how much they put into the game, yeah. That young lady sounds so young. She sounds like she's still at primary school. (laughs) (laughs) I know she's not. But, yeah, I'm a big fan of of Hannah's. Mm. Yeah, I hope she's going to do big things for the Matildas. Yeah, and Hannah's coming over to Sydney with me, so we're both very excited for this move. Um, Also very nervous, but I think, yeah, Sydney will bring great things for us, hopefully. Okay, we've got uh, Brett Klishnik on the line uh, from the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, folks. How are we all? We're awesome. Um, very cheery. Excellent. Um, yeah, lots of girls talk, actually, but, you know, there's <laughs> two girls, so there's lots of girls football <laughs> going to get talked. Um, we're just going to bring our listeners up to speed with the night series results and fixes. Mm-hmm. Miranda's got a few to go through. Go for it, Miranda. Yeah, so we had some women night series games last night with Group B. NTC and Redbacks shared the piece with one all draw and then a bit of an upset with Barkhada beating Perth 4-2 so that was group B and group A will play on Sunday night with Subiaco versus Mum FC and Curtin versus Frio so make sure to get down to Edinburgh Oval for that um, with the men's MPL night series they had a Wednesday fixture <laughs> this week so they had Floriot beating Sorrento by four goals. Rockingham went down to Gwalup, Croatia by one goal, so that was a 4-3 game. Perth Soccer Club put Balcada 5-1 and ECU beat Coburn 1-0, close game. Bayswater beat Armadale 4-0 and Inglewood lost to Glory 6-1. So it's interesting, they've got the semi-finals for that coming up this weekend. You've got Inglewood versus Armadale, which will be interesting because both of them are coming off quite heavy losses um, from the midweek game, so it'll be interesting to see which team bounces back better. Um, and then you've got Perth Soccer Club versus ECU, so those are at Percy Doyle, so make sure to get down to them this Sunday night. Or we'll get up as far as Sorrento. Percy Doyle's a long way up from here. <laughs> I need to get my geography straight, don't I? <laughs> yep. And then the Men's State League also had games last night with Mandra beating Ashfield 5-0. Mum FC went down to Morley Windmills with 2-1. Junior Up City beat Canning City 2-0. Sterling Lions went down to Western Knights 3-2. 
Olympic Kingsway beats Swan United 6-2 and Karamar Shamrock beat Kingsley Westside 4-2. So a lot of goals last night. I was, yeah, lucky enough to get down some of the women's game and a good crowd down there, so that was good. Speaking of a lot of goals, uh, I was watching the Newcastle and Glory A-League game mm. and um, I really like the way the Perth Glory play. Yeah. I really do. And we're talking A-League here. And Brett, and maybe you can jump in with a comment if you feel you want to. Um, but we score some a lot of goals mm. and we get beaten and we <laughs> score goals. And it's just kind of a bit crazy. But um, we have some nice play. Mm. And some of the young lads that are in that team, I really like what Richard Garcia is doing with the squad. Yeah. Yep. So that was my I, comment. I would- Absolutely agree on that. We went down and watched them on um, uh, when was it? When, uh, Tuesday night this week, and you know we went down two one. But some of the effort that the the, the young guys, as you said, um, who are coming up through the local system, that their former juniors at our club here, rather than being players that have been brought across from state. Yep. Mm. Um, some of them were the effort they put in and the skill there was just. Um, it was just wonderful to see West Australian players playing for our West Australian team as we did once have uh, at Glory back 20-odd years ago. And it looks like there's a new generation um, coming through there with uh, Richie Garcia really driving that. So it's wonderful. Yep, yep, absolutely. And that's what we want. I mean, a bit of a development plan, but sustainably yeah. a- along the way, then they grow into good players. We treat them right, they stay, we retain them, glory gets stronger, we get more fans because we love to win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And actually, yeah, th- th- there was also a really interesting other bit there that uh, Central Coast, we played, actually had three West Aussies in their side, in their first 11, oh. um, which was, again, really nice to see. So we're producing on the local front and they're coming through glory, but we've also produced a few others that are still making their mark across the A-League um, mm. at other clubs. So who, it was Danny De Silva, wasn't it, that came from Perth? And he's with... Oh, yeah, we had uh, Danny De Silva was in there. Mark Birigetti was in there. That's right. Uh, who was also a, a former Perth SB junior. And Jack Tisby. That's right. At, um, yep. Balcata, Inglewood and Perth as well. Yep, yep, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I watched um, Danny De Silva and thought that... Young lad has travelled around the world and landed back yeah. in Australia, and I'm I'm not sure what to to think about his progress. He's a decent player, mm. but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I would have liked to see him maybe playing at a higher level, pushing the for national representation. Maybe it's yeah, just yeah. Oh, yeah, I know he's still got dreams there to play overseas. He still is young. He's still got the opportunity. Yes. Um, I think he's probably like a lot of young guys. They go over just that little bit too clean and then they get slowed up by the uh, cutthroat life that it is in Europe. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's, a, it's a, a bit of a roll of the dice and see what happens. And sometimes it comes off and you end up playing at a, a high level somewhere in Europe um, and sometimes it doesn't and you come back here and you make a name. And there's no disgrace in that. You can make a good career out of playing in Australia or in Asia. Um, I'd like to think that there's a there's a, an opportunity there for a lot of players to play in Asia. Just a lot of them don't tend to take it. Yeah, maybe cultural and language barrier. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. let's let's talk about the football hall of fame, Western Australia. Um, mm. We've had the launch of the the website this week, and it's looking great, Brett. And uh, kudos to you, put a massive amount of work into that, 
and um, great great feedback from just about everybody. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, look, the, the website we've sort of taken it from from the old website that the Hall of Fame has had for about ten odd years, and we've just given it a new look and feel um, at the moment. You know, there's a huge amount of additional content in there in terms of photographs and stuff. Um, we launched that um, yesterday and, had, as, as you said, we've had really good positive feedback from that. In fact, I've spent the last 45 minutes responding to some of that positive feedback that we've been receiving um, via email and text message. So that's, that's really encouraging. Yeah, that's, um, what, that's what we want. We also want to prompt a, yeah. a little bit of engagement and if, you know, we're going to offer to collect memorabilia so that it doesn't get lost to the community, um, then correct, this, is, yeah. this is a way of profiling that and getting people to think about it. Yeah. Look, we, we've, we have, we've had people come forward and say, look, you don't have a photo with me here, you know. Uh, I've got a few. We've had people come forward and say, I've got uh, some fairly significant memorabilia from World Cup and Olympic game events that you could use as a, to display um, at events. And this is all coming off the back of the website that got launched yesterday. So in the last 24 hours, we've, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I've been somewhat overwhelmed by the response that we've had. Um, it's been really astonishing and really cool um, as someone, you know, very interested in, in collecting that history and, and documenting that history. The amount of stuff which is sort of coming out of the woodwork at the moment um, is really exciting. And, you know, eventually we would like to get a lot more stuff on the website. So what, what people are seeing at the moment is what I'm, I keep referring to as stage one, which is we've migrated from old and new. Um, there's a whole other stage planned um, where there are intentions and plans to have uh, additional pages about each industry, more photographs, more information on the the really rich and complex history of the game that as in WA as it's evolved since 1896. Um, there's so much we could do with this. Um, and you know, my, my goal is to try and get as much as we can out there so that everybody knows um, not just the football community, but everybody knows how wonderful this game is. And as the chair of the Heritage Committee for the Football Hall of Fame, um, you've probably got the, the largest part uh, of the Hall of Fame because it's pretty much all about the history, isn't it? We we want to collect it, we want to ensure that it's preserved for the future and we want to recognise it too, which are the aims of the Football Hall of Fame. Um, there's been some transition over the last 12 months with changes in committee, changing direction, uh, rebranding, new logo, COVID kind of halting things and having to think about what we're going to do. So having the website launch is, is a great way to get some of the initiatives that the Hall of Fame are, are thinking of, about um, on there and out into the mainstream community. And also on the memorabilia part, like the collection of that has only started and started to grow in the last 12 months, but it's, it's a massive growing beast. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. But there, there's, there's lots of little pockets of memorabilia out in there in the community, obviously. Um, we as the Hall of Fame, you know, as you said, there was a, an evolution that happened over the last 12 months in terms of the committee. We've sort of established a collection point, so to speak. We've got a storage unit where we're actually putting all of the bits and pieces that we get. And we've got shirts, programs, signed materials, pennants, flags, trophies, medals, all sorts of stuff out there, boots, jackets, um, you <laughs> name it, there's, there's bits and pieces out there. Um, and the intention there is 
that we just keep collecting all of this stuff with the, the hope that one day we'll be able to have a, a football museum of some description. Um, as you said, the, the, that that collection that we're the Hall of Fame of Golf has uh, massively evolved in the last 12 months. We went from a storage area which was probably slightly larger than your kitchen table to one which is now... Uh, you can drive your car into it. Um, <laughs> or you, actually, you couldn't drive your car into it because it's that full of stuff. <laughs> there isn't a lot of room in there. Um, and even I was out there on Wednesday collecting some things so that I can scan them onto the website. And I was looking at the room and I was thinking, we actually might need to upgrade again. Um, sorry to drop that on your hand on the radio, but um, oh, it, it, it's really getting full with so much stuff out there. But you know what? We've, we've scratched the surface. There is, there is so much more material, shirts, boots, balls, printed material, scrapbooks, etc., photographs out there that we would like to eventually um, bring into the collection um, that is sitting with, with individuals right now. Um, but again, we couldn't do it all at once. We'd, we'd be flooded and it would be a full-time job and um, everyone on the committee does this as a volunteer. We've all got our, our working lives, our family lives outside. Um, but, you know, it's a long-term goal that we, we keep chipping away. We keep adding the odd thing here and there and uh, in time that we will get to that, that point that we want to. And the, the target is, like you said, having a museum at some point, but also to share the collections with others in the community in whatever yeah. way that fits. That's right, yeah. So, so we're looking at, you know, we're building our collections, but we're also looking at things like... Um, you know, if, if a club has an event or a, an association has an event, we might have some materials that they can loan from us and, and use at that event. Um, you know, there's a lot of clubs, there's a few clubs this year that are having their 70th anniversary, there's one another one that's having their 60th. Um, you know, it would be wonderful if we had the volume, the volume of uh, memorabilia that we can say, hey, we've got X, Y and Z, would you like to loan it? Um, you know, we can, we, we're, we're looking at uh, reciprocal loaning rights with other organisations as well. So that, that's an option. And it's just, yeah, it, it, there are so many options out there. It, 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 it's uh, quite endless in terms of what we can do and where we can take this. It, it is, yep. Um, and I suppose at some point that'll um, maybe land on the website so that people know uh, what yeah. what we've collected and what they can loan, so to speak, and that leads into yeah. the collector's fair that's coming up because some of that memorabilia will be displayed there. That was an elegant segue there. It I was. Must say, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, um, towards the end of April, in fact, the, the weekend of the 24th and the 25th of April, the Hall of Fame has got a stall at the, the two-in-one, uh, three-in-one collector's fair out at um, Claremont Showground. Um and that, that there is more, mostly about people selling items uh, for profit. We're going there, the Hall of Fame is going there as a, a, a shop front to make people aware that A, we exist, and B, if you've got something in the family which is you know no longer wanted or you'd like to share it with somebody else, um, we're there as a, a, a collection point and a repository to, to take all these materials on board. Um, at the collectors there, we will be having uh, some select items, I guess you would say, from our collection on display. There's some pennants, some 
uh, trophies, we're hoping, some other printed materials and so forth. Um, so, yeah, we'd, we'd be looking forward to anybody, whether they're, they're within the football community currently or they're from the general community going along to that theatre, to pop on over to our school. We'll be quite close to the entrance, I do believe. Yep. Have a chat with us, um, find out what we're all about, we'll have some pamphlets we can take away, um, and just sort of engage with the whole new part of the community, the, the non-football community, so, so to speak, um, because we've got to remember that if you look at a collective there, it's just usually people who are, are fairly well off and football started out in that Western Corridor. Um, so we're trying to engage with the, the people who are out there who's potentially family members uh, started the game or were involved in the game back in the early days and they might have old photos and, and things like that that we might be able to either add to our collection or loan and put on the website and so forth. Yep. How do the community or how does someone in the community get in touch? Okay, so um, people within the community can get in touch with us one of a number of ways. Um, they can go to our website, footballhallsmainwa.com.au. Uh, um, we've got our email address on there, which is admin at footballhallsmainwa.com.au. Um you can get in touch with us through either of those two mechanisms or you could probably give me a phone call, my, my number. Um, I won't give it out over here, but it's on our Facebook page. Uh, there's a Hall of Fame Facebook page. Um, you can track it down through that. Um, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Um, I think, you know, if you, if you give the option as a, a phone call, most people will take that up rather than, um, you know, tracking down emails and so forth. Yeah. Um, there's, there's lots of options. Yeah, um, Brett, thanks very much for joining us. Really do appreciate you sharing that. And it's good that um, we were just talking to Greg Werner, who's also a historian. I'm going to call you a historian, okay? So, uh, <laughs> okay. Chair, chair of the Heritage Committee, it's kind of being a historian and you can grow into the role. Um, Greg Werner, who loves his history um, and loves to make sure that uh, it's shared so on the Australian yeah. Football Before the A-League Facebook page, there's a lot of great articles that um, people lob on and scan. They love this digital technology. You can just scan all this old paperwork and you can put it up yeah. clear and you can share it and other people copy it and, and they share it with other people and they talk more about the history and then you just uh, it's preserving it. I love it. And that's just what we're doing here in, in whatever ways that we can. And, you know, into the future, what do you think that... Um, the Football Hall of Fame might be looking at to, you know, in, in ways to share and recognise that history a bit differently, do you think? Um, do, oh, do, 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 no, no, that's okay. Do you, do you think that there would be, that, you know how the we're having the Collectors Fair at Claremont, do you reckon that yeah. would be a regular thing so that... Um, yeah. So the, the, the reason I sort of balked that is it's such an open-ended question and, and I've got so many ideas as to what we could do. I would certainly see that the collectors there, this one we're going to is a sounding board to see what it's like. I mean, it could potentially be uh, an annual or a six-monthly thing because it's held every six months. Um, so there's that as an option. Um, some sort of display somewhere, be it a museum or, or otherwise, would be an option. Um, in terms of uh, social media stuff, um, you know, Regular posts to, to things like Facebook, recognising different events. Um, different I, I tours, like the way too. 
too, by the way, that um, Mel Moffat and Richard Kreider are, are you know, a, a part of things moving forward with the enormous history and passion they have in the game oh, and yeah. putting putting things into the uh, Football Hall of Fame Facebook page and collaborating with, with you and the other group of, I'm going to call you all historians because you just you love the game, which is great, and, and want to keep putting back into it. Yeah, look, people like um, Mel and Richard um, are probably the, some of the, well, the, the key inspiration for me to have got involved in football when I came back, um, back in the, the, the 90s. Um, I sort of moved away from the game and then I came back in and, and it was, you know, engaging and speaking with, with people like them and Bob Brown and the like um, that have got me really interested and, and that's my passion. You know, WA, it's football, what more is there to say really? Um, and it's great that we've still got Richard and um, Mel contributing to the, the website and Facebook and we meet up, I meet up with Bob and Mel every month and we have a good chat about different things and... Um, through that, we brainstorm some ideas and then, you know, we, we take them to the club. Might take some to the committee, some may not. Some we'll discuss informally. All different options that we, we're looking at in terms of the, the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah. Good one. Um, just my final comment is uh, Miranda and I were talking about the match day experience in the local mm-hmm. local football and it got me to thinking about the Collectors' Fair and match programs and in the last 12 months of being at football matches I in fact longer than that I can't remember getting a match day program actually maybe glory when I've gone to the HPF stadium Mm -hmm. Um, at any local games I can't remember getting like a match sheet or a program of any kind and I've sat at the games and I've um, leant over and I've said who's that player out there Mm. and they've asked someone else uh, and and you know we've kind of communicated about it that way but it'd be great and I know it's a memorabilia thing as well but it'd be great if the clubs could kind of even copy the match sheet from the referees um, whatever they get these days and put it um, somewhere so that there's a something you can take up if you want to when you're walking through the gate and do that and I just thought as part of memorabilia moving forward it's probably something that's significant that you had lots of match programs from local football many years ago, many decades ago, but there's not many going forward, so they're a bit of a collector's item now. Yeah, you're right there, and I think that's probably a a general comment on society. Everything is going digital. I mean, we saw uh, Football West stop publishing uh, yearbooks many, many years ago, 10 years ago, thereabouts. So there's a a lot in some of that that history there, that momentum and continuing sort of in both which is a shame. And we are now seeing that same filter down to the clubs. Um, can't blame the clubs because they're feeling the squeeze as well. Uh, it, it, it's a tough gig out then, out there with uh, sponsors fairly few, far and few and far between and players, with, uh, I'm going to say, requesting uh, payment and so forth. Um, but it would be nice that, if, you know, even if it's just an A4 page folded in half with a, you know, a club logo on the front and the, the, the squads for the first 18, 20 listed, um, just so the punter that goes along to the game knows who they're actually watching. Yep. And as you said, going forward, that's our history. We can then look back on that. I mean, I've put into the, the or contributed to the, the Hall of Fame collection um, 
probably close to a thousand programs that I've personally collected since 2000. Um, and I know that in the next 20 years, there'll probably be a couple of hundred added to it because, as you said, a lot of clubs don't produce these uh, printed programs anymore. There are a lot that are, a few clubs that are actually publishing them online, so they're digital. But, um, yeah, the digital is quite a different experience to the, the physical tactile where you can pick something up and look through it and see photographs and stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of the way, not just football, but, but society in general is going. Everything's going more online. May, um, maybe, but, Brett, the museum that you have in your mind with physical objects might be some kind of digital visual experience in a few <laughs> years' time. <laughs> you... you, you Absolutely you're correct. I mean, one of the options that we've got in terms of looking at a, a museum of the future is things like, you know, if we we do video interviews with uh, football footballers of today or footballers today, so we see it modern day footballers and or guys who played back in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. We could do interviews with them. Um, we've then got a video representation of them. Down the track, we can edit that for an audiovisual uh, experience for people in a museum where you could have uh, headphones on, you could have a little iPad, be watching the, the interview, um, listening to a person speak. The interview can be interspersed with footage of games if we've got it, uh, pictures from programs, so you could flick through the match day program if they're talking about the WA beating Glasgow Rangers in 1975 match. Um, so there's all these sorts of things that we can potentially do down the track and we could potentially do them right now, to be honest, if, if we had uh, um, the resources to do it. Virtual reality. These mm. some, yeah, these are some of the things that I'm looking at going, you know, we could actually do that. It's not that difficult. And, you know, you'll see over the next 12 months, hopefully, um, the Hall of Fame will start dribbling out some of that sort of stuff online so people can actually view and get an idea of where we're heading as an organisation and, and what a future museum or display would potentially look like. Mm, I was so, lucky so enough... It wouldn't be... Yeah, sorry. sorry you uh, yeah, I was just going to say I was lucky enough to go over and see the Real Madrid, their museum that they've got at the oh, Bernabeu. Yeah. And it was just, you know, they did have that technological experience and it was like I remember there was this touchpad on the thing with this big screen in front of you and you'd go through all these current and former players and you'd click on them and they'd come up on the screen in front of you the big yeah. photo all their stats and they've got these moments and you can click on the different moments and you know I was seeing Iker Casillas's um Champions League debut at what like 18 years old and going through his whole career and stuff like that wow. and it's just yeah, yeah. it's an exp- exa- insane experience but Obviously, a lot more resources than we have here oh, in Little Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a real, it's a great thing, and and the experience of going to a museum then isn't looking at things behind a glass cabinet. Mm. It's a one-on-one. You're getting to do stuff and interact with the, the resources that are available on display, be it on a digital screen or whatever it might be. Um, it, it, I, I think it's a, in terms of some, something that you can actually view it's a much more pleasurable experience to be able to control that and work with it and then just standing there looking at something which you can't touch behind a screen. Mm. You can't interact in any way with it. I think the key there is, Brett, is that more people can share that experience at the same time too. Mm. That is correct, yes. If you've got 
you know, in my head, I'm thinking if you had a bank of 12 iPads where you've got the same materials on there that people can view, um, they could all be going through it at different paces and get to different points themselves. And um, it is that personal thing, and it's it's available to everybody. Brett... And we, we could also share a lot of that online as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, the world's your oyster once you get digital. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but once you've got the resources. So. Yep. <laughs> well, we'll work on all of those things. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thanks for joining us this morning, but really appreciate you sharing um, where the Football Hall of Fame is heading and the Collectors Fair and the website. Good work there, and um, yeah, looking forward to more ideas in the future. Mm. Awesome. Thank you very much. Have a great. Day. Great yeah. weekend, actually. Good on you, Brett. Stay safe. Yeah, See ya. Yeah. That was Brett Klushnik, the chair of the Heritage Committee on the Football Hall of Fame, just uh, sharing some of the projects that the committee are up to. And the website is the Football Hall of Fame WA.com.au. Mm. And there's a Facebook page. You can go to that and get in contact with the committee if you'd like through admin at footballhalloffamewa.com.au. That's a mouthful saying that. <laughs> to go slowly and think about it. We are going to go to break and then we'll come back and chat more football with Tom Samani, who is the coach of the New Zealand Football Ferns. And we will also talk about the A-League and W-League fixes because we haven't talked about those. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is Penn and Miranda on the World Football Programme. Thanks for listening in. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM Hi, I'm Penny Tannerhoe It's season 34 for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle We are the longest running football show in Australia Morphed from a sports programme way back in 1987 The hosts and voices may have changed but the content filled with passion, news, characters and history has not the World Football Team are all volunteers and we appreciate you listening in. 2021 brings a new look with a new logo, website and podcast. Thanks for sharing the journey with us on Radio Fremantle. If you like us, become a member of the station. Find a membership form on our new website, The World Football Programme. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. I want to succeed so badly because we have such a great team and the fans, I think that we owe everyone around us something. Everyone is bought in. I think the togetherness within the squad is huge and it just makes you want to put everything on the field when you know someone's putting a big tackle and you're like, I want to put in a, a tackle like that and I want to play for her and I want to win for this club and this, these fans. This team is special. This team is ruthless. This team is family. This team 
gives everything for one another. And this team, no matter what, will show you heart and passion every day we get on the field. My name is Mohammed El Mabani. I'm a coach at Punchbowl United Football Club and I coach and assist with three teams. Ever since I was seven years old, I've loved football and it's more than a team, it's like family. Not just as in there, you're a teammate, like you're my best friend, I got you, I've got your back, whatever you need, I'm supporting you. You carry that chemistry throughout the whole season, throughout the life and outside soccer as well, we're always together. I coach and assist with the under 14 girls and for them, I mean, I've talked to them about this before. Imagine if we had the World Cup in Australia. Coach, they'll be amazing. They'll be so awesome. Welcome back to the World Football Programme. We've got Tom Simone, the New Zealand Football Ferns coach on the line. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon or good morning. Good yes. end. It is, and absolutely. Uh, we are fantastic. We've got Miranda in the studio with me, so we're going to have a bit of a um, women's football talk fest. Mm. Did you remember the Orlando Pride promo that I played? Were you listening to that when I played it just now? Um, I I I didn't know it was Orlando Pride. Mm. I heard it in the background, but I wasn't sure what it was. From 2017. So that's when you were coaching there, right? That's exactly when I was coaching there. Yeah. I should have known it then, shouldn't I? Yes, <laughs> I, I admire that. So when I'm doing my trawling of the internet, getting good fillers and promos for the show, I picked that one up and I thought, wow, that is really inspirational that they actually made that. And I don't know whether they promoted it on match day or it was outside the club into the general community mm. or on television or radio or whatever, but I listened to that and thought, wouldn't it be great if in Australian football we had those kind of things? And like me, I remember that promo and I've repeatedly played it since 2017. If we had promos like that made in Australia where you could think, oh, do you remember that Sam Kerr ad? <laughs> and everyone remembers it four years later and you're still playing it because it's just so inspirational. Anyway, that was my little thing. <laughs> well, yeah. I've, had, I've had known and remembered all that the taking credit for that. There you go. So, how are you going, Tom? How's things travelling with? Very well. How are things travelling with the football ferns and um, well, COVID and things? Hey, well, there's not much travelling, that's no. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Interestingly, uh, a little WhatsApp that we send out every sort of week or ten days, and it's about a year since we've been almost a year to the day since we've been together with the team. It's um, February last year since I've been in New Zealand. So, you know, things are going well, but there's no travelling and there's no football. <laughs> so, apart from that. Yes, and is it of concern that we're a couple of years out from a World Cup, but there is no travelling and the squad's not getting together, or is it part of the plan anyway that you're adopting now in a different kind of phase of football? No, it, it's... I mean, it's concerning, but you I mean ultimately you just have to deal with what you have to deal with. I think the challenge is, particularly for us in Australia and New Zealand, is that we're a, a, um, a little bit more of a disadvantage than the rest of the world because the rest of the world are kind of living with COVID and, and kind of going on and still playing games and still doing things, whereas we are really limited to what we can do. You know, neither of our 
national teams, the, the, the Socceroos, the Oliroos, the Matildas, the Football Ferns, the All Whites, the, <laughs> the um, New Zealand Olympic team. None of these teams are playing at all at the minute because, you know, we can't leave Australia and New Zealand. If we do leave, we, we can't get back again. So it's almost impossible to get our teams together. So we've at that slight disadvantage, but, uh, you know, it is what it is and, and you just need to deal with that. Yes, um, we do have players playing and it's interesting hearing you rap that. We, I mean, we've got players playing football, but they're not playing um, more than their club football. But if you're in no. Europe and you're proximal to a lot of other countries, mm. then you've got access to play against other countries and do a little bit of travel in, in restricted, controlled circumstances where we're so bloody far away from anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, we just stay and, here. And, 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 yeah. Yeah. And we've also made a conscious decision, which is the right one, that we want to stay COVID-free down here. So, you know, it's just one of the, the disadvantages we, that we have societally, societal-wise that um, puts us apart from the rest of the world. So yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, thanks once again for lending us um, part of your um, football fern squad to help Perth Glory along. <laughs> Um, we could probably do with a few more, maybe some super duper strikers to you know help us get up the table a bit. Further. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're struggling a bit in that regard. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's been a tough season for Perth. I know, like young Alex, only got the job probably three weeks from the season starting, and uh, great to get the three Kiwi girls out there. But I think they get out of quarantine. I think it was three days before the first game, and then. Yeah. You you'd gone about three months and played three games, and everybody else had played eight games, and you're you're now doing a catch up. And uh, yeah, it's been a challenging season, more so for Perth than for any other team in the WA. But Tom, you're going to start me right there, okay? <laughs> because Perth Glory do this every year. We start late, a point late, and it seems to be catch up all the time. Mm. I don't know how you feel about that, Miranda, but um, I just think just some more sustainable sustainability in their planning and programming and players that are coming through knowing that they're going to be part of the squad that they can dedicate their time to it mm. I mean if you look at um, just even this week there's some players across other teams that haven't been able to travel because dates have been changed or they've got work commitments mm. um, because we're still only a semi-professional football league it's still tough out there I know that but Perth come on I mean we just We've got so many young players here and you know, everyone's touted that this year the national leagues are going to be filled with younger players because mm -hmm. we can't get the international players in here. So we've done that. We've kind of overloaded with young players. Is it working, Tom, do you think, across the league? Uh, yeah, look, I think it's been good. I think it's like anything. But, you know, I'm, <laughs> despite being a miserable Scotsman, I think I'm a uh, more... Um, more an optimistic person than a pessimistic person, um, but I, I look. It, it's I think it's it's pros and cons. You know, obviously the the top level players aren't, aren't here this year, but then that's given younger players and other players, not just younger players, but other players, opportunities to be in as professional an environment as we can put them in um, to get actual game time and to get a feel for what it's actually like to be in a professional footballer over the, the length of the league. So, you know, I, I think there are some positives from that and, and hopefully 
through that, we'll start to see some young players coming through the system because uh, they are getting opportunities to play. Yes, mm. and same with the A-League too. There's a stack of younger players getting exposed to top-level football, which has brought a great energy to the game. I love that part about it. I mean, if you look at the Perth Glory, sorry, the Perth Glory guys team, I love the energy that they're creating with the young players being mm. added. And Richard Garcia is doing a great job. I mentioned it earlier in the program. Um, yeah, and there's a different vibe in women's football to men's football. The the guys, the younger lads playing men's football at A League level, have a very fast style of playing football. Whereas women's football is not that. It's a different style mm. of football. I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but it's different. Mm. Mm. But we could definitely yeah. do with some more planning to yeah. allow players to be appointed earlier, a coach mm. to be appointed earlier, and I don't care if it's been a COVID year or not. <laughs> Come on. No, no, no that's a, I agree with that. I mean, that's a, you know, that, that's what, uh, you know, Perth obviously was very late in getting their team prepared. You mm. know, perhaps they thought at, at some stage they might not be able to put yes, a team in the yeah, league. Yes. I don't know. Of course. But yeah. like you say, um, I think they've been severely disadvantaged by that late preparation. And they've also been severely disadvantaged more than any other team by the lockdowns. So um, yep. yeah, it's just been a it's been a challenge all round. But you know, it's kind of you got and you got on with it. They've got uh, they've got seven games left, I think maybe six, seven, six, and um, yeah. um, you know, hopefully they'll they'll pull out a couple of results. Mm. Yeah, I think what we were saying before about you know starting slow and starting to build a bit of momentum at the end of the season and then having to seem to start from scratch again the following season. It has become a bit of a trend. But I think getting some consistency in players and I think fans and spectators should be very, very excited about this W League squad that's coming through because Alex has come in and, you, as you said, he came in late. He came three weeks before the season was appointed and two weeks of that was spent in quarantine. So he... Came in late, but I think people should be excited because at training he's constantly saying, get on the train, and this is a project that we're building and I want people here that want to look at this project and contribute to it long term and build something. So I think fans should be very excited about that and I think there is something. And if we can break this trend of, um, you know, starting from scratch each season and build some sort of continuity between the teams each season. If he's going to be around to help break that trend. Yeah. Okay. And is oh, he going to be out in the local the... football? Is he going to yeah. be? Well, he was I mean, at the night series games the other week. Great, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's been, he's been, um, you know, he's taken on the job. He's, he's moved, and um, which shows, you know, ambition and he, dedication. He's, uh, he's a very <laughs> accomplished young coach, and uh, and this is a great project for him. I think it's a, a fantastic job for for a young up and coming coach like Alex, where you can really get your your teeth into the job and actually build something. Mm. Whereas perhaps with some of the other teams, it's a little bit more, it's a bit more difficult to sort of build things from the, the bottom upwards. So, you know, I, I think that's a, and, and that could be a, a real positive moving forward and, and hopefully he stays there and, and, and does that. Yes, stays there and does that. Mm. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, the season being up and down and postponed matches and then, Rescheduling matches and then rescheduling them again is uh, it's just a- absolutely insane environment to deal mm. with. And as you were saying before, it is you know still a semi-pro league, and you do have with this constantly changing schedules, people that have full-time jobs that are getting fed up with you yeah. know them because they keep having to change their days off and 
around their training schedule and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, and as we saw, we had um, Kat who couldn't travel because of work a few weeks back. And then there was that article written about Tash who, you know, talking about how she has to balance her football and her work and how she has, you know, has to make sacrifices for both. And then another article about Teresa Polias, yep. the Sydney captain who couldn't come over to Perth because, you know, she's a full-time teacher and she yep. has students that she has to teach. Yep. Yep, and then if you're a professional uh, footballer like uh, Perth Glory, mm. then whatever the changes are, you're there to deal with them. Mm. You're at the beck and call of the club and you can go to those refixed, refixed games. Mm. So, yeah, we've still got to work towards that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, just uh, on the Teresa Polias thing um, and, and the work commitments, I was just doing a bit of research on, on the figures of, of players and, and wages. So... It, this is interesting because Elise Perry transitioned mm-hmm. from football, football to cricket, cricket mm-hmm. and their average pay from the top end cricket is about thirty six thousand for a season, mm-hmm. and about sixteen thousand for W League players yeah. at the top end there. So it, it is interesting. No, no sixteen thousand is the bottom end for the W League. It's you reckon? Minim- Not it's the, the minimum. Top end. minimum. Well, it's the minimum. Yeah, it's okay. the minimum. But a yeah, lot of no, players will be pay paid the minimum. the minimum. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah, so it's. Um, I think it depends where you are in the pecking order mm-hmm. as to um, how your negotiating skill and how your negotiating skills are as to to what you can you can get paid. But uh, yeah, the salary is about sixteen thousand three or four sixteen thousand three hundred or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, and um, I think players get you know whatever they get depending on what budget the clubs are putting into the league. And I think obviously this season. It's been a challenge all around from a, a budgetary aspect because mm-hmm. of a lack of potential revenue and fixtures getting messed about, etc. Um, so I think that is certainly would have hit the the level of pay that the players are actually getting. It would make sense then, based on what we've just discussed, to have a very young squad mm. who do not have work commitments. Yeah. So if they have just study commitments, um, then I'm sure the study, like the school educational institution would have more flexibility yeah. than an employer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. No, I mean, the ideal would be that to have, you know, players that are at university or college or or just working casually. I mean, that's uh, that's that's the ideal scenario. Yes. So you don't want too many, you don't too many people in your team that have got careers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> professional them, football You careers. want to be a career person now, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we shouldn't laugh. I mean, it's, it, we're in transition, aren't we? I mean, women's football he- here yeah. in Australia is. We, I mean, we can from here we can see in other places in the world the professional leagues mm-hmm. like the Super League in England yeah. and so forth. And there's potential. Mm. I mean, there's progress. There's potential. Yeah. No, but and and I think people think, like I because we've got some players playing in the the, the uh, WSL mm-hmm. and and it's tough there. You know, uh, Tanya. You know the. Western Australian coaching legend Tanya yep. has left Bristol, and I caught up with Tanya about a year and a half ago when I was in in the UK, and that's a tough gig at Bristol. They are very limited yeah. on resources. You're talking about Tanya Oxby, poor mm-hmm. salaries. Yep. Yeah, Tanya Oxby, yep. and they're on you know poor salaries there, and some of the, the teams that are with with Premier League men's Premier League clubs are treated not not much better, if better at all, than W League teams. So. You know, there's a there's a real mix out of there, and I think sometimes we look and we look and say the WSL how good that is, 
But if you speak to some of the players in there, it isn't that good. And and the organisation and some of the things that we've got in place here in the W League are actually better than some of these you know full time big time clubs. Um, so you know I think one of the things that we we don't do well uh, and and I've used AFL as a, an example is, is we don't talk our game up enough. Mm. You know I've, you look at stuff on the WAFLW and it's it, it would appear to be from the outside the best league in the world. And, um, <laughs> and you know, we tend to sort of talk down the stuff that we do in football when, in fact, we've got a lot of good things here happening in football. You know, W League obviously has been affected this year because of COVID and because of um, the players being overseas. But what a great opportunity for lots of good young players in the league and some of them in the Perth Glory team. And um, so I've watched Perth a couple of times this year and there's a couple of really talented young players in that team. Mm. Hannah Larry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the blonde girl. Yeah. The blonde girl. <laughs> I'm not great with names. I kind of remember stuff. But yeah, yeah, not a very talented young player. And and going into a team and being in a team where she's obviously got more responsibility mm. than she probably would have, you know, if, if Sam mm. Cares and all these other players are, are in and around the team. So... You know, for me, it's a, if, I'm a, if I'm a young 16, 17, 18-year-old and I'm getting this opportunity in the W League, I'm, I'm pinching myself. Mm, yep, yep. And on TV, and being on TV. <laughs> You'll be famous in school. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, Tom, Lisa Devana must be one of the longest, uh, well, one of the most enduring players that, that you've coached and is still playing yeah. here. Um, over the... The, your coaching career in women's football, have there been many of the players that have transitioned into coaching? Um, not not too many. There's been a few. Obviously, Heather Garriott's probably been the most high-profile high one. Uh, Alison Foreman, who's been living in Europe and Denmark for many, many years, is, um, has been involved in Fortuna Horing. A little bit in the coaching side, but more kind of on the, on the management side. Um, Joey Peters is coaching, but not at the not at senior level, but running an academy up in the Hunter Valley, north of Sydney. Uh, so there's a few there's a few scattered around and and sort of involved in coaching. None of them at this stage, you know, coaching at the you know the, the senior competitive level at the moment. It's interesting uh, when when I was thinking about that question I was going to pose to you, I was, and I was thinking about the female coaches that I can name in the league here in Australia, and none of them have been high end footballers mm. play, in playing career. But, yeah, but you, you've got to remember the, those high end footballers that you're talking about. They weren't professional footballers, mm. most of them. Mm. The, you know, these the, the real professional leagues. I've only really started over the last three, yeah. four, five years. Yeah. The, the the US League obviously has been going since 2012, but most of the Aussie girls that have gone into that league are still playing or just kind of coming to the end of their careers. Yeah. And so that's kind of the first stage of what you would call professional players. You know, when we had the, you had the earlier discussion about, you know, players having to take time off work now to go and play in the W League. It, it wasn't any different 10, 10, 11 years ago for national team players. Who had to juggle study, had to juggle work, had yeah. to do all, all those things, and then we're, we're playing football for the Matildas. So then what tended to happen is that your your football part of your life finished and you went back to 
what your real life was in your yeah. job. Yeah. And it's it's only now in this generation of players where you're getting what I would consider to be proper full-time professional players. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully as they transition, then there'll be more of them sort of going into the coaching ranks. So do you think Miranda's at the right age to be moving into that space? <laughs> how old's Miranda? <laughs> how old are you, Miranda? How old's Miranda? Sorry, I don't know how old you are, Miranda. I just turned 18. Uh, 18? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you've got... Well, what, this is what I would say, is if you've got, if you've got an incline, if you're daft enough to want to be a coach, that's the other <laughs> thing. I think most of these women are, are smarter than people like me and end up coaching. Um, then what I've suggested is you're never too young to start doing some stuff, you know, mm. whether that's going in and doing your badges, you know, getting in the system, getting, getting a feel for the job. So you've still got another at least 15 years of playing ahead of you so um, then you can then you can decide to go into coaching but it's always handy to start putting your hand in uh, you know your, your hand in the job a little bit earlier mm. as a goalkeeper I think you might add another five years onto that yeah. <laughs> patience right. as well yeah, don't do too much running yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so no, um, I did want to talk about female football week. I'm mm. not quite sure if that's a, a national thing or just a WA thing. Do you know, Miranda? I'm not 100% sure. I think it's in the actual female football week is Australia-wide. Is it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, just I just wanted to mention some of the things that mm-hmm. come out of uh, female football week. So over here, Tom, uh, female football week ends with the Girls' Day Out, which is an annual activity for girls between the ages of, I think it's 6 and 16. And this year it's at Dorian Garden, so one of our... Um, NPL club uh, sites is hosting it and that generally brings you know, a few hundred girls um, along, um, mates and already players, um, just to cap off the fact that we've had a, a week of football recognising um, male champions in the game like Brendan Fantasia and um, I think Jess Linquist was... Um, Coach of the year. Yep, yep. So mm-hmm. that was part of the award from last year, recognised for this this week and those kind of things happen in the female football week space which is pretty good mm. so the yeah social mediums kind of get right. flooded with that <laughs> um and i did say that hannah larry was a contender for the junior sports star of the year yeah, yeah. yeah. so yep she's um, moving into some <laughs> famous spaces there she'll get flashed around sure a bit is. More. yeah i remember when sam kerr got um nominated for the young Young Australian of the Year or whatever it was, and then mm. I saw her on um, yeah, what her favourite meal was in a, in a cooking newspaper article, <laughs> and in a local this wearing a dress, and then so, and she was just like all over the place. Yeah. I'm like, wow, you could kind of choose which pathway you want to go now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Sam, Sam cooking, that's interesting. I don't think Sam would probably know how to make a toasted sandwich from memory, <laughs> but that was a long time ago. And with her wage, she probably doesn't need to do that either. <laughs> Somebody make it for her now. Yeah. Um, and, and a couple other things. The, the She Believes Cup um, that mm-hmm. occurred just recently, it kind of flew under the radar yeah. a little bit because, I don't know, just things do at the moment. That was Brazil, the US, Canada and Argentina. And I'm not quite sure where that was hosted, but I, I think probably America. Orlando. Oh, yeah, there, Orlando. You <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, P.S. Sanhaj is coaching the Brazilian team and Alex Morgan scored her 108th goal after becoming a mum. thought that was nice. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's a few mums in the football space now, which I'm, I'm liking to see. Mm. It's um, telling me that 
the football environments are encouraging and supportive and the players want to go back into that environment again. Mm. Oh. You saw Katrina Gorey announce her pregnancy yep. um, recently this week, which I think is very very exciting and, um, you know, Football Australia seems to have a lot of support around her and, you know, transitioning out of football and then hopefully back into football after. Yes, and that's good and that's how the, it should be because mm. um, in the conversation, Tom, you said, well, life after football, it could be, you know, when you finish playing for whatever reason or your job pays you more than your semi-professional uh, you know, women's football career does, so you've got to make a decision and you finish it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's good that there can be a transition to the other side and that the infrastructure here can help with that. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, I think a lot of Katie Gill mm. and um, how she's moved out of the playing football space into the administrative space yeah. with the, um, yeah. I think it's PFA. Yeah. And, yep. And Sarah Walsh. Sarah Walsh, head of women's yes. football at the FFA. Yes. Amy Duggan, Amy Duggan, former Amy Taylor, on the board at the FFA. You know, there's, there's, you know more and more women becoming involved at, at significant levels, and I think the important thing, because, you know, I get asked this question an awful lot about the women's coaching side. For me, it's not just about the coaching, but I think it's important for, for females to stay involved in the female game in the whole range of capacities. Yes. So, you know, the, the coaching tends to be the buzzword around, but, you know, I think it's really important for them to be involved in, in all all the different aspects of the of the game because, you know, they, they've got that skill and the expertise and the experience of going through things. So we need them as administrators. We need them like yourselves in the media. We need, mm. we need them in all those different areas. Yes, to affect change in the future. Yeah. We yeah. are change makers, Miranda. <laughs> yeah, get rid of all these old men out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, it's been great having a chat to you. I really do appreciate your time. You can come and chat to us anytime, Tom. I really appreciate the call. It's always good to catch up for my West Australian colleagues. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, stay safe and enjoy your weekend. You too. It's great to chat. Good Take on you, care. Tom. See ya. See ya. That was Tom Smarney, the New Zealand Football Ferns coach, always relaxed and always up for a chat. <laughs> and uh, you did some good work at Orlando. I think Lisa Devana was playing with him at that time when mm. he was coaching in America for a few years. Um, yeah, I'd like to see some movement of any football. I don't just mean women's and girls. I mean any football, men's, women's, into the public space so that out there when we're riding a bus and there's a billboard or there's a advertisement on the side of the bus or there's you know radio adverts tv stuff just i'd like to see us competing out Mm. there in that space that public space so that it's just out there for us to think about and see that's what i'd like to see (laughs) and tony sage did say that in the decoupling that's going to be happening from uh, the football federation now the football australia Mm. um how that'll look for the a league and the w league going forward i don't know i haven't really seen any steps to show us what the decoupling means in the Australian football environment yet. But I I hope that the plans that uh, the club owners have all been talking about and working towards will somehow soon show us. I do. Uh, Football West AGM is coming up, someone did ask. It's on the 24th of March. It's at the Vic Park Football Club or Soccer Club. I'm not sure if they're soccer or football club. Anyway, 6pm. 24th of March, contact Football West if you want to attend. I think that's how it goes. Uh, and the A-League and W-League fixtures, what's yeah. happening? So we have 
the W League round 11 um, kicked off on Thursday night with Victory beating Wanderers 1-0. And then the rest of the fixtures for this weekend and Monday, we've got Adelaide versus Sydney. That's later today at 4.05pm our time. And Canberra versus Brisbane, Sunday 1.05pm. And then Perth versus Newcastle, our home game again. Loving that. Um, on Monday, 6.35pm. So get down after school or after work and hopefully get a big crowd out there to support our girls. Um, with the A-League also in round 11, we had um, that kicked off last night with Adelaide beating Newcastle 1-0. Then later tonight, we have Brisbane versus Sydney. That, oh, that's at 2.05pm our time. And Victory versus City at 4.10. Then tomorrow is Wellington versus Perth. It's an away game, and that's Sunday, 1.05 p.m., so make sure to tune into that. Um, Western United versus Wanderers, Sunday, 3.10 p.m. Central Coast Mariners, top of the table, versus MacArthur. I think they're second at the moment. So um, top of the table clash, that's at Monday, 4.05 p.m. And then Sydney versus Western United, Wednesday, 4.05. So Western United have got two games this round, so that should be interesting. So who's sitting on top of the table? Central Coast Mariners. And second? MacArthur. Yeah, really. And then Adelaide and Brisbane. So an interesting it is. top four, isn't it? Yep. So not one you would expect looking into the season, but I no. guess that's how it's panned out. And, you know, similarly with the W League, your top four, Sydney, Brisbane, Victory and Adelaide. So, you know, and City sitting eighth, so second from the bottom, which is, you know, not what people would expect. But, you know, COVID's turned everything on its head and yep. who who really cares? I'm sure Central <laughs> Coast won't be complaining. <laughs> Just to have football operating is pretty damn good. Yeah, happy with that. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of it operating and it's it's a strange thing seeing professional football and empty stadiums and the audio crowd sounds that yeah. they're playing now and then locally here we have our games happening and we have lots of people mm. in and it's just very different in different places around the world and I feel very lucky that football is happening and that I'm living in this country. <laughs> we are going to go to a break and come back and have a chat with Dave Wally about more football, of course. This is Penn and Miranda. Back soon. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix make and secure your gates and fences friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part gate and fence hardware wa station sponsor oh give me land lots of land under starry skies above don't fence me in Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Please don't fence me in let us tell you something about us. If there were no stadiums, no floodlights, no mascots, no commentators, no headlines, no cameras, no contracts, 
No adverts. Hell, if there was no ball, we'd play anyway. And then we'd find a ball. Put nets up. Pick sides. Take sides. Talk about it. Argue about it. Sponsor it. Film it. Play it. Live it. Because that's the thing about us. We are football. Good morning. We are the World Football Programme. Penny and Miranda in the studio, and we are having a chat to Dave Wally. Goalkeeper extraordinaire coach. Good morning, Dave. How are you going? Morning, Penny. How are you today? Thanks for having me on here. No problems at all. Appreciate you giving us the time. So tell us a little bit about yep. the Dave Wally story. Story. Oh my god, I can't believe I just said that. Tell us about the Dave Wally well, story. <laughs> I'm not quite sure story or means, but um so um so I've been over here now for maybe since two thousand two and um prior to that I played I played football in England for Blackman Rovers. I was um an apprentice there. Didn't quite make the first team there, but I played quite a few games there for the youth team there and the, and the reserve team. And then um, I, I left um, Blackburn and I uh, played quite a lot of non-league football um, back in England and um, playing back or back over there. It's probably called the North West Counties um, um, Football League. And then I played a couple of games for a team in the Northern Premier League. So uh, did that for maybe till about age of 35. And then... Um, decided to come to Australia, but uh, I made quite a big sort of, um, I want to come to Australia and just um, try and get involved in football, and maybe make it my, my full-time role there, so uh, so they said that was in 2002, and um, couldn't quite get into the full-time um, game until I was probably about 50, which was, was a few years ago now, so um, I had myself a full-time job, and um, during that time I was uh, working there with a few clubs, um, that was a Tuesday night and a Thursday nights working state league and the uh, NPL clubs there, and also do some of my private stuff. And um, so I, I did that until probably would be about 2016, whereby um, I was working for a company, and um, I got made redundant, and that was probably just the opportunity there for me to just dive into um, coaching goalkeepers as a full-time business. There's um, as my as my main source of income, and. Uh, since that's almost five years ago now, and since then I've um, I'm probably I'm working now still for NPL club there. I'm also head of goalkeeping at South Coast Baptist, which I quite enjoy. Um, also, um, I've got my I don't like to use the word academy, but I work with quite a, a large number of goalkeepers on a, on a Friday night, and I've just come home now for my for my sessions there at John Curtin. So I work between maybe twenty five to maybe forty goalkeepers a week there. So. Um, so that's basically a nutshell, Penny. That's what's that's my my sort of maybe um, resume you know, <laughs> up until now. It's a bit of a tough gig being a goalkeeper out in the professional football world, isn't it? I mean, you have to play a bit of a waiting game to get maybe your your, your number one yeah. shirt. D- d- definitely there, and um, and it's a little bit different over in Western Australia compared to maybe over in Europe. If you're using um, Using maybe the championships and the uh, and the, the EPL over there in England, a lot of the a lot of the, the best goalkeepers are all playing over there, and obviously there's only one one goalkeeper there that plays in the first in there. So 
it's, it's difficult for the keepers. So a lot of the young goalkeepers over there, you have to try and find maybe maybe loan moves there for a lot of teams in maybe the League One, League Two, and uh, in the Conference League. So just to get the game time, and uh, probably probably it's moment in time. A good example of, of someone who's dark is uh, it's Martinez, who plays for Aston Villa. He was mm. at um, Arsenal, I think, for about oh, it must be about ten years now. So I think he's aged about twenty-seven years old now, and. Um, a lot of goalkeepers during that time would have maybe questioned themselves and thought, well, am I good enough or do I move on there? Do I try and get a loan deal or try and maybe drop down a league or two there? But he's he stayed there with Arsenal and did fantastic last year. And um, he got himself a move now to, um, to Aston Villa where he's, he's number one there and one of the best goalkeepers there in the, in the Premiership. Mm. Can you tell us some of the goalkeepers that have been at clubs for the longest like would anyone have stayed at a club say i don't know 15 years because some players like on field players stay with their clubs for 10 to 15 years but do goalkeepers do yeah. that well i think now if you look at um, um the higher there for man united he's been there for a quite a long period yeah, of time yes. there mm. he's been there a long time there i'm trying to think now a lot of the I can't think of anybody who, who stays at a professional club for that amount of time. Mm. They just tend to move on there and uh, to get the, the game time there. And just going back to Martinez, he, he left Arsenal to go on the loan system there, but he's always come back to, to Arsenal there. So we, we do think sometimes that the, the goalkeepers there come into the first team there and you think they're a little bit raw, but they've had, they've had plenty of games there under the belt. And um, so they are... Term, maybe a good term to use could be maybe battle hardened there and uh, in the League One, League Two. We know it's not the same level as maybe as the NPL, sorry, EPL, which is not, of course, there. So, um, uh, and, and I, I do know one or two um, goalkeeper coaches in England there, which do encourage their young goalkeepers to go out and play in maybe the lower leagues there. What about uh, claims to fame? Have you played? Alongside any pretty famous <laughs> goalkeepers, or behind some pretty famous players that you're oh. going to tell your grandkids about? Do, do you know? Do you know what, Penny? That's that's a long, long time ago. That, and I prefer <laughs> not to be reminded of that. But um, <laughs> for, for, for those who are listen, listening there on the show, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to beat myself up there. I remember making my debut for um, for, for Blackburn Rovers when I was about 15 or 16. I can't quite remember then. I played at Anfield and. Um, and, and playing for Liverpool was a guy called Steve Nicholl, who um, who was who played for Scotland. He's played in Scotland in the yeah. World Cups, and he played for Liverpool there for a long time. So the answer there to your question, Penny, there, uh, against Steve Nicholl there, and I was like a young kid there and uh, making a debut. I couldn't believe how fast the ball went and how, how physically it was there. So I suppose he's probably the most maybe well-known player that I've, I've maybe played against there. What about coaching? Because you've been coaching for a few years now. Have you coached some people that um, yeah. that you can claim that are going to become a Socceroo or a Matilda? Well, I think um, uh, all the time there, I suppose, looking back now, when a long time ago there, Mark Burgetti. Mark yeah. Burgetti there, when he was involved with the NTC system over there in Western Australia. So I worked with Mark and a guy called uh, Alex Fateski, who had a... I think he played a few times there for the glory and he went over there to Indonesia. So I worked with those guys. Same with Tando as well. He's yeah. now with the glory. So these are the kids you work with when you're 14, 15 years old there and um, they've done 
fantastic well there to um, stay in the professional game, particularly Tando now, who's been around for a long time, probably mm. number two. But now he's got the opportunity there, the glory to me, that number one spot is his own there. Yeah, what's, mm. the, what's the story with Tando? Because Tando's had a bit of an inconsistent mm. career. He's moved around a bit, but he's playing the mm. best football of his career in goals at the moment, mm. I reckon. What's working? Yeah, well, sometimes, maybe maybe it could be a case of now it's, it's, it's maturity. Maybe, I'm not quite sure, he might be 29, 30 years old there. He's thinking, I've got a good chance now to maybe to do, um, to do something, whereas maybe five or six years ago, he might have thought, well, it doesn't work out here. I can always move on and, and do something different there. I've got time in my hands there, but now maybe the pen has dropped. And uh, obviously, he's doing fantastic well there, the glory. Mm. Or so maybe that could have come into the, into the equation there. Mm. Yeah, and also you've, you know, someone else that's come under your coaching is um, Chris Barty. Is there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dave, how are you going? So for those, those who don't know, Dave's been my coach since I was just 12 years old when I started goalkeeping. <laughs> so a lot, everything I have, I credit to Dave. Seriously, it is brilliant. Well, but um, <laughs> make you blush now, Dave, won't I? <laughs> no, I'm no one can see that. <laughs> yeah, but... um. Chris Barty, the Paris goalkeeper. So he came to you a few, few years back, um, and he's Cyril Prawsey, for people who don't know. That's the Paris squad. Um, that was the first CP goalkeeper you've coached, and I was just wondering, how did you go about, because I know I, you've told me this story many a times, but sh- share with everyone else, you know, how you guys worked together and, you know, figured out. So, so, so Chris, no, Chris is quite a... He's quite an accomplished sort of like sportsman. There is he's, um, he's actually played for uh, Australia, Australia in the twenty threes and, and the national um, wheelchair basketball league. And, um, mm-hmm. and it, it got to a stage there where he wanted to try something different. So um, what he did, then he actually got in contact with um, with Football West, and um, Football West put put them on to me and said, "Look, they've got a, a guy here who's played for he's playing wheelchair basketball. He wants to try goalkeeping, but he's got cerebral palsy." And I looked at the email. I thought to myself, "What? What cerebral palsy?" <laughs> so I have absolutely no idea what, what it was. So, so when it, so Chris always describes cerebral palsy to me. He calls it a disability where um, where your brain doesn't quite send the right messages to your muscles, and um, and that results in some maybe motor control issues and muscle tightness among maybe the rest of the body. But Chris's main sort of issue there was the muscle tightness there in his legs. So, um, so I did a bit of googling there, found out what it was, and. Um, and we arranged to have a session there. So he turned up at John Curtin one Friday morning and be about half past six and he got out of his car and um, he was walking a bit slow and he turned over to me, come over to me and he said, there's no gloves there and, and, and no boots. <laughs> and uh, and, and I've, I never coached a goalkeeper there with a, a disability or cerebral palsy. So I had no idea what to do and he had no idea what to do. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, so it, it, we managed to work things out and... Um, and the good thing about about Chris, and probably self around as well, talk about making people blush, is they've got the um, they got that determination there. They want to try and maybe get to that next level there. And and Chris has always maybe had that bit of a disadvantage there in regards to having CP. But whatever I asked him to do, he tried there. And uh, whatever it worked out, I asked the question there, is it because, is that a CP issue there or is it is a coaching issue there? So we tried to work it out and, and all the time, he did ever so well. They got into the um, the Western Australian team, which competes over the nationals in Coffs Harbour. 
and over time he's managed to play in, uh, he's played for the Paralympic team and uh, I think he's played about 34, 35 times there. He's made his debut in Abu Dhabi in 2012 and he's played in the Ukraine and Spain and um, and, and, and the UK there, So, which was which is fantastic. So, uh, But the, 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 one of the main issues there with Chris is, is the legs. So sometimes it's difficult for him to move now pretty quickly there and um, He's managed to maybe really increase that speed over the years there, and now it's um, he's, he's a really competent goalkeeper. Now he plays in the in the um, sunny leagues for Fender and Arna, so it's, it's fantastic, is that? Yeah, it is. Uh, I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite stories. Yeah, that's that. I can just picture that as being a challenge and a success. Oh. Mm. Mm. Oh, and the beauty about that, you see, Penny, is the fact that I've known him for ten years, and I've only maybe told him off once. For turning up late, uh, <laughs> but it got a little bit complacent there. So, um, when it was great, it's great. And, so, so yeah, with, also, with your goalkeeping, do, do you hmm. only deal with goalkeepers who are already dedicated to the cause, or is part of your remit in any of the uh, organisations that you deal with to encourage players to want to become a goalkeeper? Hmm. So, so a lot of the time, so the classic example, well, my emails or a text comes through to me, is the fact is like I've got a nine, ten-year-old son there or daughter who's keen on the goals. Um, can can they come down to your training sessions there and try and improve on on your techniques there? So uh, a lot a lot of the time there with that age, eight, nine, ten years old, that's in my opinion that's too young to be maybe pigeonholed in the goals there. Uh, I've, I've got. Maybe one or two examples there where the young kids there they absolutely love playing the goals there, so they play in the goals there. But most of the time there, the kids who come along um, want to be in the goals at that particular age there. Mm. It's a pretty unique position, and uh, I'm I'm a coach, uh, sixteens yeah. girls, and it's tough. I don't think I can think of one player. I actually think of one player, and maybe two in thirty that um, will say, I really want to play in goals. And <laughs> yeah, the others, you've got to rotate through the position and uh, share the load. How do you encourage kids to, to get a, a, a dedication to the cause, Dave? Well, well the thing, that, that's really hard. And, I, and just answering the question, how do I encourage them? I think it needs to be an environment there whereby if it's training, you're trying things out there and there's, there's nothing wrong with maybe trying things out that doesn't work there. Uh, and I think a lot of the outfield coaches there, I, I would love a lot of the outfield coaches there to maybe to go on a goalkeeping course, coaching course there, just to maybe give them the basic sort of fundamentals there, watching, telling the goalkeeper, because um, the, the goalkeeping coaching courses that are designed now in Europe and also in Australia, you need to have maybe the outfield coaching qualification before you can go on the goalkeeping qualification. So if you think about it, goalkeepers are almost like pigeonholed into um, looking after goalkeepers, but if you look at it in the whole big picture, they've got a coaching licence there for goalkeeping and also for outfield. Mm. Whereas if you go on uh, the outfield coaching, you're going to need C licence, B licence, A licence there. So I'd like it if one or two of some of the coaches there will maybe have a little bit more of an insight into how goalkeepers work, how difficult it is because to that mental side of things there. It's quite difficult. And also I found out a lot, a lot of the maybe the coaches there looking for maybe goalkeepers who are um, at the level of maybe the top, top premiership players. And the kids are only 13, 14. Hmm. So, um, 
Sometimes I, I think a little bit more education there with some of the coaches. I think that would be great. Yeah, it it's a tough one. Is that part mm. of is that part of what you do in any of your programs, or are you basically um, you're you're the man that that uh, young aspiring goalkeepers get sent to to hone their skills? Well, I, I do get quite a lot of young goalkeepers come on board, but it, it, a lot of it comes down to the depending what age they are there. So I get so if you get eight, nine, ten years old, there they they want to have some fun there. I yeah. use Miranda there for example. There, I remember when she was like twelve years old, she came down to me and she had that definite determination there to come <laughs> down there and I want to do this, I want to do that. So, so sometimes it's, it's what people sort of maybe what they're looking to get out of it. Some people look at improve maybe and get into a team which may be a Sunday team there. Some people want to get play MPL, but like look at Miranda, she wants to play the highest level possible. So she's got a certain sort of determination there, and um, yeah, that's what I found with the keepers who come to me. Yes, yeah, Miranda is definitely a determined young lady, <laughs> uh, but she's going to always fall back on media if things don't work out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Dave, thanks very much for joining us. I really do appreciate your time today. It's nice to have a, a chat about um, different side of football. You're welcome. Welcome. Stay safe and enjoy your football weekend or non-football weekend. <laughs> no, no, we've got a game tomorrow. I'm involved with Inglewood, you see, so we're in the night series, night series semi-finals. So um, I'm out there on Sunday night. We play um, play Armadale. Gotcha. So be a good game. Hopefully, hopefully we can win that and get to the final next week. Yes, yeah, definitely. Good luck with that. Thank you, Pennett. See you, Dave. Thank you. See you. Thanks, Amanda. See you. Bye. Dave Wally, goalkeeping coach. There you go. Inglewood's his club. I'll remember that for next time Mm -hmm. we chat. Yeah, so I take it he trains the goalkeepers there or has he got kids there? No, he trains the goalkeepers there and he's worked there for a number of years. But yeah, I think, you know, Dave doesn't do himself justice sometimes. Very, very good coach. He's one of the few. Um, level two goalkeeping coaches in WA and Australia to be honest I think there's maybe five level two goalkeeper coaches in WA um, and he's one of them and it's it is a very long process to get that because as you were saying before you have to get your coaching C license before you can get your level one and your coaching B license before you get your level two goalkeeping coach so it's a long process but um, yeah definitely deserving of it and anyone that's looking to hone their goalkeeping skills that's the direction I'd send you. It's like a lifelong passion, isn't it? Being mm-hmm. a goalkeeper, training to be a goalkeeper, you have to play a patient waiting game. Yeah, definitely. Got to serve your time on the bench. And, yeah. Um, yeah, just soak up everything. Be a sponge. <laughs> <laughs> well, Len and Bags Groove is up next with his jazz show. Thanks, Miranda. Appreciate you joining us today. No we'll we'll cram as many shows in as we can to make <laughs> use of you before you leave us. Yeah, one and month. Yep, next week Sean's back with the team. This has been Penn and Miranda. Enjoy your footballing weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening in.